I want to invite you to join me in Luke chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. And as you're doing that, I'm going to go to a different passage, which I'll tell you what it is in a minute so you can write it down. But I want to encourage you to go to Luke chapter 4, verse 14. It's been said that we live in the already and not yet. Have you heard that phrase? We live in the already and not yet. That is already... We know Jesus has come, the incarnation has taken place. We celebrated that just a short time ago, a few weeks ago. That's already happened. We live in the already in that Jesus walked on this earth and we are studying his life this year. We're able to do that. We're able to walk through the gospel of Luke because Luke, Luke, Luke was able to interview and get eyewitness testimony and research and put down the facts of what, have al- what has already happened. And that includes his birth, that includes his life, that includes his going to the cross, that includes his death, his burial, and it includes his resurrection. It's already happened. It's taken place. And we live in the already. But we also live in the not yet. How do I know this? Because every morning I look in the mirror And I'm reminded that I live in the already, but not yet. You with me? You looked at me. You know, some of you know I've been going through this thing with my nose and the cancer, and they got the cancer out, and then had to go back this last week, and they ground it down to try to make it close up a little bit. And every morning, I look there, and I put some, some Vaseline on there, and I see this face, and I realize this is not the face that I had 10 years ago, or 20 years ago, or 30 years ago. What is happening I'm dying. And you didn't want, some of you thought that, but you didn't want to say it. But is that not what's happening? Now, some of you look really happy, and some of you look really sad, and we'll, we'll talk about that later. But what's happening? I live in the already. I've already, it has already happened that Jesus has covered my sin. He's paid the price. I have been redeemed. I have been reconciled to God as a sinner And he is my father, I'm his son, and I'm enjoying the fruit of what has already happened. And yet there's some things that are not yet my experience. See, I'm still a sinner. I still hurt and groan and make noises when I get up in the morning. Um, This body is still doing what it's doing. And as I look around me, as I look at my world, as I'm sure you do too, it's, it's clear that we live in a creation that is experiencing the already but not yet. Matt talked about life this morning. Is that, not a, is that not a symptom? Is that not an expression, if you will, that we're living in the already but not yet? This is still happening. Horrible things are still happening. Cho- horrible choices are still being made. How do we reconcile that? How do I reconcile living in the already and not yet? Well, the Apostle Paul, here's the text if you want to write it down and look at it this morning or later, Romans chapter 8, Paul is addressing this in chapter 8, verse 18. He says, I consider, listen to this, I consider that the sufferings, that's where he starts in this text. It's in the middle of a thought, but he said, I consider that the suffering, so what, what do I take from that? If Paul had one word to describe the already but not yet... He would use the word suffering. We get that? Are you aware of the Apostle Paul's life? 
He said, well, I know his passion for Jesus and his passion for people to know, the, to know Jesus through the gospel. And he gave his life to that because he was living in the already. It had already happened. He had, a, he had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. He knew Jesus as the risen Lord. And yet his life was characterized by one thing, suffering. He says, I, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory. See, that's a reference to the not yet. The already is we're suffering, but the not yet is there's glory coming, and it's going to be revealed to us. For the creation, this world that we live in, eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed, God's sons and daughters. What is he talking about? He's talking about what John wrote. He says, it's really not clear yet what we are as children of God. In other words, you go, you you want me to follow Jesus? You want me to be rescued? Yeah. And this is what it's going to look like? (laughs) Yeah, no thanks. That doesn't seem like much of an answer. But John said, it's not clear yet what we truly are. It's not yet been revealed the sons and daughters of God, what it looks like to be, be redeemed from this body, to re- receive the body that we will have that's like Jesus' body, and to be without sin and to be completely redeemed from sin and pain and suffering and to be in his presence forever. That's important because it's very easy for you and me to get so wrapped up in the here and now that we often lose sight. No? Sometimes you go to bed at night and you go, is this it? I mean, I love Jesus and I want to follow him and I know it's the truth, but I'm telling you that today was hard. This week was hard. This month was hard. I'm in a tough decade. I'm in a tough situation. Is this, and sometimes we can get to where, is this really it? And the glory that Paul speaks of seems so far down the road. He says the reality is we're waiting, the creation is waiting with anticipation for this to happen, for God's children to be revealed, for the world to see the ultimate outcome of redemption. This is not the ultimate outcome of redemption. The Holy Spirit has been placed in me, he lives in me, it's a deposit of what is to come. So I want to encourage you this morning. For those of you that put your faith in Jesus Christ and your future, your glory is to spend eternity with me, I want to encourage you. You ready? The guy you spend eternity with will be much different than this guy right here. Are you encouraged? Yeah. Quit, okay, quit shaking your head. She's like so excited. Because this is not yet the ultimate display of redemption. Creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, it was placed upon it. It happened through who? Who brought sin into God's creation? Satan played a part, didn't he? But who made the choice to bring it in? Yeah, we did, right? Our our predecessors, Adam and Eve, creation was subjected to futility. I love that word. it, It captivates or captures our condition. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of corruption into the glorious freedom of God's children. See, God's redemption covers everything. There is a new heavens and a new earth 
sin one day will be no more present in any of God's creation. We know, Paul goes on, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now, his day, and we can say till today. In fact, the groaning, the labor pains, the groaning has probably gotten louder over the last 2,000 years. Would you agree? Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves. I don't, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in your heart, okay? But I had conversations with just a few people briefly coming in this morning, and here's the reality. There are many sitting in the green chairs around you that are groaning within themselves. In fact, I think the reality, the more accurate assessment, is that all of us, to some extent, are groaning within ourselves. And I'm not talking about the patriots. You with me? Some are groaning a little louder. Some are in the throes of labor pains, if you will. Some are in, what's that, Braxton Hicks? Hicks? It's sad that I know that phrase, but I know that phrase. You know, we're in different places, but he says, even ourselves, we who have the Spirit as the first fruits, the Spirit is in us. And he's moved in. Pentecost triggered this. We, are too, we also are groaning within ourselves, and we're eagerly waiting for adoption. Now, he's not talking about the adoption that, that puts us in God's family. That's happened. But I'm not yet living in my father's house. Do you get that? I'm, I'm his. I'm adopted by faith in Christ. I'm in his family. So are you through faith in Christ. But this is not our father's house. The adoption is not yet complete until I walk into his house. And he says, welcome. You belong here. Father, why do I belong here? Because you're mine. I adopted you through Jesus Christ and your faith in, in what he did on the cross. Welcome home. He says, we're eagerly waiting for that adoption. We're waiting for the redemption of our bodies. See, I've been redeemed my soul, my spirit is redeemed. I am a new creation. But when you interact with me and you look at me and you listen to me, you still see the effects of sin. This body is not yet redeemed. And so we live in the already and the not yet. And the question that that triggers in my mind just constantly is, and this is the title, if you want a title for the message, is what in the world are we doing what in the world are we doing if all those things that Paul just described and, and I have uh, you know, explained a little bit, if that's all true, and that's only the, the surface, right? Just scratch the surface of the already, why am I not in heaven? Why am I not in the presence of Jesus, experiencing all that comes with being adopted by Almighty God? I want to. Paul said that, didn't he? He says, man, if I had a choice, I'd be there in a heartbeat. But I know that God has a reason, has a purpose for me to be here. And here, in Romans 8, he fleshes it out, and it stirs this question, why are we here? What in the world are we doing? I don't, and I'm going to say something that's going to make me sound really old, okay? Everybody looked up good. Because young, young people are going, oh, yeah, old people say that all the time. I feel less and less at home in this world. Everywhere I turn. Now, I know that makes me sound like an old person. You know, I, I watched a few minutes of the Grammys. And I go, I don't know anybody. I don't know any name. 
And I'm not sure I want to know any of them. You know, and then I, I watched a, a little bit, of, made it like two minutes into uh, the Golden Globes or whatever it was, and there was a comedian that was doing that, and it was, he was just rude and harsh, and they kept showing the actors, and Tom Hanks, who, you know, I've been compared to him looks-wise a little bit, and so I kind of followed his career, you know, when he, when he was younger. And I'm watching, and he's just going, and I'm going, hey, man, yeah, me too, I don't get, you know, and I said, I don't get it. I don't get entertainment. I don't get music. I don't get why we have allowed the freedom to end the life of a baby in the womb. I don't get it. I mean, I do. You know, you, you with me? And everywhere I look, and I, it's politics. Look at education. Look at the economy. Everywhere I look, I, this is the world that he's, stay with me, because I'm going somewhere with this this morning. I'm not, we're not, we're not going to hand out purple Kool-Aid at some point. You know, we're all going to, that's not the application. Take that out of the video, or the recording too. But I find myself less and less at home. What do I do with that? Why are we here? What in the world are we to be doing? And here, here's my conclusion, and, and, I, and this is where I, want, I want you to join me in Luke chapter 4. The answer to these questions are revealed as we bring Jesus into focus. And that's our theme this year, is bringing Jesus into focus. These questions that I have that maybe some of you have, what are we doing we're in the already but not yet. I want to be in the not yet. I want, I want this to be over. And I want that sweet time of eternity with Jesus to begin. What are we doing here in the meantime? And I believe the answer is revealed as we bring Jesus into focus. So in verse 14 of chapter 4, it's where we left off at verse 13 last week. And so we'll pick it up here. It tells us that Jesus returned to Galilee. Remember, Jesus had been tested. He had been baptized. Um, the Spirit of God came upon him. The Father said, this is my son, and I am pleased with him. And Jesus returns to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Underline that if you mark your Bible. And news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity, that whole area. He was teaching in their synagogues, being acclaimed by everyone. Have you heard this new guy? There's this young rabbi. He's from Nazareth, I think. Nazareth. Um, I think his dad's a carpenter. Um, you know, but I'm telling you, if you haven't heard, you've got to come hear him. Because, I mean, this guy teaches. You want to hear what he has to say. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, the one who was in charge of the synagogue, would bring a scroll of the Old Testament scriptures. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to Jesus. And he unrolled the scroll because there, he didn't do this. He didn't say, okay, turn to, you know, take out your iPad. And he didn't do this. He opened the scroll that had been rolled up. And he, Jesus, found the place where this is written. The Spirit, cap, catch this. The first thing they were told that Jesus specifically, the passage that he specifically identifies, he, you know, he was in teaching in other synagogues, but what Luke records for us, the first thing that we're aware of the text is where it says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he, the Spirit, has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He, the Spirit of the Lord, has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So when I ask the question, what am I doing here? Why living in this, this, this already but not yet, what am I to be doing? I want to look to Jesus and what I see from Jesus is this, is that I need to live a life surrendered to the Holy Spirit. That's where we got to start. 
So I, you, don't, you don't understand how bad it is in my, my experience, my relationships, my finances. Maybe not, but we're living in the same mess, brothers and sisters. Those who have put your faith in Jesus, we're living in the same mess. And you think, well, I'm going to leave California. I'm going to move somewhere else. You, it's everywhere. If God's leading you to move somewhere else, then move. But I've been a few places around the world, and I can tell you there's no place to go in this world where you're not living in the already but not yet. Because the biggest part of the already but not yet is this, and this, and this. I take all this with me wherever I go, whoever I'm interacting with. What is the answer for this in the already but not yet? It's the Spirit of God. It's why the Holy Spirit moves in, because I can't live in the already but not yet without, in just this, I need the Holy Spirit. And I love, and I mean I love, that Jesus chooses to model this for us. If anybody could have lived and walked this earth and, and done it perfect, perfectly in his own strength, it would have been who? Jesus. And yet he chooses to show you and me what it looks like to live a life in the power of the Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. We read earlier in chapter 4 that the Spirit led him into the wilderness for this time of testing. Jesus is living a life surrendered to the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to suggest this morning that you and I can't go any further in this journey until we first come to terms with that. Until we first surrender to this idea that the Spirit of God is the key in living in the here and now. If you think you can do it on your own, if you think you're gifted enough, you're passionate enough, you got the skill set, whatever, I love you, but you're wrong. And if you haven't already, you probably already have, and you've covered it up, but you're going to crash and burn. And you're going to crash and burn over and over and over again. Until we say, you know, I cannot live this life in the here and now apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to follow Jesus' example. I asked him, I'm going to give you some questions this morning, things that came into my mind as I prepared. I, and, I, and they're personal, but I'm throwing them, I mean, I'm asking myself, what do I talk about? Or excuse me, not, hold on to that one. It's not the one I want to give you yet. What is, what is, what is the, 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 primary characteristic of my life, meaning who are people seeing is another way to ask it. When Matt, you know, Matt and I are friends and we're partners in ministry, so he, you know, says something like that this morning, you know, hey, it's God for Kurt, you know, and so I'm like, okay, I get it, but you know, I, and, and thank you, but as I'm walking up, here's what I'm thinking, I'm thinking, okay, what, what, what am I known for and what do I want to be known for? Do I want to be known as a, as a great preacher? No. Do I want to be known that whatever God says is clear and that people are, are impacted and His truth is changing your life? Yes. And Matt feels that way, is committed to that, and so is, is uh, Jeff and, and anyone that will be up in this, in this, on this, I say pulpit, what is this? A cafe table. <laughs> that, the, that the truth is clear and lives are transformed. But what do I want to be known by? And I think the valid answer that we all need to come to is I want to be known primarily by the fruit of the Spirit. If you ask me what I want on my tombstone, that's what I want. Man, this guy was love, joy, peace, gentle, gentle patient. You with me? So I ask myself, what am I known for? What, is the, what are the primary characteristics of my life? And, 
It's interesting that Jesus quoted, from, he read from Isaiah. Did you catch what Isaiah says about why Jesus was in the here and now in this, on this world? He's anointing me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. There's a lot of overlap of those things in the fruit of the Spirit. This is what Jesus was to be known by. Well, why didn't, he, why didn't he overthrow the Roman Empire? That was an evil empire. Why didn't he what? No, because this is why he came, and he said, this is the Spirit in me saying, this is what I am to be characterized by. Okay, I got to move on. We all together? Okay, verse 20. So he rolls up the scroll, he gives it back to the attendant, sits down. It's quiet, I think. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue are fixed on him. He begins by saying to them, today as you listen, here's his message. You read the scripture. Now I know, I, I gotta stop because I know some of you are like, well like his message is like two minutes, so uh, if you wanna be like Jesus. Okay, you know who you are, who you're thinking that. <clears throat> Don Spencer, sorry, didn't wanna say it out loud, but I saw him earlier. Here's his message. Today as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. They were all speaking well of him. They were amazed by the gracious words that came from his mouth. There was probably more that he said. And yet they said, isn't this Joseph's son? Then he said to them, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me. His message continues. And here's the proverb or parable is the word. Doctor, heal yourself. So all we've heard that took place in Capernaum, do here now in your hometown also. We've heard about your miracles. Do them here. And he also said in his message, I assure you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. But I say to you, there were certainly many widows in Israel. Ooh, ooh, stay with him here. Here, here comes his message. Here comes his, his application. There were certainly many widows in Israel in, in Elijah's days when the, the sky was shut up for three years and six months while a great famine came over all the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. No, you get it? See his point? No widows in Israel, but he was sent to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. And in the prophet Elisha's time, there were many in Israel who had serious skin diseases, people that were sick with skin diseases, yet not one of them was healed, only Naaman the Syrian, not the Israelite, Naaman the Syrian was healed. And when they heard this part of his message, everybody in the synagogue was enraged. They got up, they drove him, not only out of the synagogue, they drove him out of town. And they brought him to the edge of the hill that their town was built upon, and their intent was what? To shove him off the cliff. But he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. Now, here's one of those videos that I want to see. You know, where'd he go? Where is he? Well, I thought you had, oh, you. He walks right through them. And he goes on his way. What is Jesus doing? How do I answer this question, what I'm to be doing? Jesus stood on the truth of God's word. What's captivated me in this, this section is that Jesus goes to the scripture. He went to the Hebrew scriptures. They know exactly what he's talking about, Elijah and Elisha. He starts with this parable, this saying, but he quickly moves in to the word of God. The prophet not receiving honor in his own time, that's the word of God. Elijah being sent to a widow who was not a part of the people of God. That's the word of God. Naaman the Syrian being healed. That's the word of God. And so he starts his morning in the synagogue by reading what? The word of God. Isaiah. And he sits down 
and there's some discussion, and his little message, the little response to the moment is all built on the Word of God. Do you see him defending himself anywhere in here? I don't. You think it was 30 seconds that it took to get from the synagogue to the, out to the edge of the cliff? I think it was longer than that. I think there was a period of time as they're dragging him, shoving him, and the crowd. I don't know if you've ever been a part of a mob. I don't mean you were in the mob. We'll talk about, we can talk about that afterwards. But experience a mob. See, I have a couple of them, and it's frightening. It is frightening. A mob takes on a life, a collective life of its own. And Jesus in, is in the middle of this, and I, I don't see him anywhere defending himself or standing up for himself. His ministry from this moment until the, to, to the, on the cross and after even is always built upon the truth of God's word. You with me? Are we connecting this to us? I hope so. What does it look like for me to live in the here and now? I need to live a life that is led by, filled by the Holy Spirit, and I need to take a stand. I need to build my life on the truth of God's Word. Not philosophy, not my education, not my political party, not my preferences, not my background, not even my denomination or my, my theological training maybe that, that many of us have had. My life needs to be built solid, solidly on the truth of God's Word. You say, well, is that the right answer in every moment? But God's Word doesn't speak to every specific decision. Are you claiming that the Word of God is always going to provide the answer that I need for any life decision? Yes. Yes. What if a mob is trying to kill me? The model that he gives us is he stands on the truth of God's Word. Number three, in the following verses, 31 to 37, what we find there is Jesus continues to, to teach. He teaches, and his teaching is, is categorized as having authority. And he encounters some people that are demon-possessed, and he speaks with authority to the demons in those people. He rebukes the demons, and he commands them, and they obey him. And at, at one point, the crowd looks at each other and just says, what is this message? What is he saying? He has such authority. He has such power. He commands the unclean spirits with authority and power, and they obey him. They come out. And it says, news about him began to spread to every place in the vicinity. Here's my third point, or what I believe the third answer to this question. We need to live a life filled with the Spirit of God. We need to stand on the truth of God's Word. And then, like Jesus, we need to speak of freedom from sin and self. Now, I'm as guilty as anybody, and I, a couple of you know who you are. We talked this morning, and, okay, the Niners game today, the Niners game today. And I said a couple times, I go, oh, I just don't want to put my, I don't want to go there with my mind, because I so badly want to go there with my mind. I want to just, you know, what's it going to be, you know, I want to go there, and I, and I can't. Why? Because that's what comes natural for me is to talk about and to be captivated by and to consistently come out of my mouth the things of this life rather than the gospel, a message of freedom. That's impressive, one ring. I don't know who you are. You don't need to identify yourself, but usually it's two or three. Good job. Jesus consistently, what comes out of his mouth is the message of the gospel, 
that there is a freedom over sin and self. And I want to show you, this person over here, this guy with his arm folded with a scowl on his face, the, the, the orange, the yellow plaid shirt there, the reason he's acting like that is because he's filled with a demon. There's a demon living inside of him. Get out! And the demon comes out. Now, don't, don't miss the, okay, well, yeah, it's not true. But that's what's happening. Jesus just commands freedom to happen. How can he do that? Because he's the author, I think you said this morning, he's the author of life. He's, he's the, the, the sacrificial lamb. He's the anointed one, the Messiah. He's come to set us free. And his, his life in the here and now, in the already but not yet, is that he just consistently spoke of freedom from sin and self. He kept pointing people to God's redemptive plan. Now, here's the convicting part, and you can join me or not, but man, I'm so guilty of so many other things coming out of my mouth. Now, hear me, because if you don't hear me, you'll, you'll go, well, I can't do this, and you won't, there will be no change. I'm not saying that every time you engage somebody, the Lord saith in chapter 5, verse 6, and you quote a verse. Yeah, but what are we going to do this afternoon? Well, according to Isaiah, chapter 3, we're going to, no, no, no. You know, that would drive our spouses crazy, wouldn't it? Trust me, early years of marriage, I tried quote, quoting scripture at my wife in moments that I probably shouldn't have, and remember the crash and burn illustration? Okay, so you get the picture. Whatever it is that we're doing, whatever moment we're in, whatever we're experiencing, whatever decisions are being made, what should be coming out of our mouth, that is the voice of hope that people experience, is that my mouth, my message, my life, all of me is consistently communicating a message of freedom from sin and self. And it's through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Are we in agreement? Many of us? He spoke of freedom from sin and self. He did it consistently. He spoke with authority. And the question, I already threw it out there, but I found myself, what am I talking about? On a daily basis. I say, I talk a lot. Some of you talk less. I talk a lot. And, and I looked up statistics, and it was depressing, so I'm not going to share them with you. How many thousands of words probably come out of my mouth every day? What am I talking about? What is the message of my, my conversation? Here's the, here's the last point in this text from Jesus' example. He leaves the synagogue in verse 38. He enters into Simon's house. His, Simon's mother is, is sick with a high fever. He interacts with her. He rebukes the fever. He, he heals her. And word gets out and people begin coming to him. And he begins laying hands on them. And healing them. Demons were coming out of many, it tells us. And the demons are saying, you are the son of God. And he rebuked them. You ever wonder why he does that? He, he talks about it in the Gospel of John. He doesn't want the testimony of demons to be, to be his testimony. It's the Holy Spirit that he wants to spread the message of who he is. He even tells healed people sometimes, right? Don't, don't go. And, and, and then, you know, what, he knows what's going to happen. But he doesn't want the, 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 the witness to be from demons. He says, be quiet. He doesn't allow him to speak. They knew he was the Messiah. Underline that. That's pretty significant. These fallen angels knew that Jesus was the Messiah. And when it was day, he went out and he made his way to a deserted place. Interesting. All this is going on. He's busy. All this good stuff. Ministry's happening. And he goes away to a deserted place. But the crowds were searching for them, and they find him. They came to him, and they keep trying to keep him from leaving them. Please stay. 
As far as we know, he hasn't even fed 5,000 yet, so that's not even maybe even on the agenda. That'll be added later. Free food, healing, nobody's going to be sick. The demonic influence, oh, please stay here. You're everything that we need. And he says to them, I must proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God to other places, other towns, because I was sent for this purpose. And who is leading him? Where did we start? The Holy Spirit is leading him. And I'm going to listen to him. And he continues preaching in the synagogues. Let me just, this last question. Who are you living for? See, here's, here's, the, here's the collective effect of living in the here and now. Over time, even as followers of Christ, it shapes us into living this world, shapes us into living for our own kingdom. And I could tell you what my kingdom is. I could, I could, I could tell you the, the, you know, the documents, the constitution of my kingdom. In other words, what I want my kingdom to look like. What's important to me in my kingdom. Maybe it's health, maybe it's money, maybe it's a house, maybe it's relationships. It can be all kinds of stuff, a better job. It can be a long, right? And if we're honest, we have them. And what this, this world does, it says, you know what, we're not there in the glory yet, and we're not experiencing all that, but what I can do in the here and now is I can kind of build a little kingdom. I can protect the things that are important to me. No? I think that every day. My dumb sunroof on my truck broke yesterday, and I know it's raining Tuesday, and it's like, ah, and I got, I, for like two, I lost like two hours of life. Frustrated, you know, what am I going to do, and it's going to cost me money, and it's like, because I want to protect my kingdom. Uh, uh, my truck. <laughs> I want my kids to be safe. I want health. I want my, my, my finances to be easy. I want this world to stop being a place of, of pain and suffering and trouble. Those are good things, right? But if I'm not careful, dude, these people want me to stay here. They want me to take care of them. They, they love me. They love my message. God, Father, is that a good... No, no, because Jesus, you're not there to serve what you want. I know, Father. If there's any other way, can this cup pass for me? No, not my will be done. You remember what he said? Your will be done. What I learned from Jesus in the here and now is that I should be living to serve God's kingdom. I need to be living a life that is surrendered to the Spirit of God. I need to be standing on the truth of God's Word. The, the message of my life needs to be one of, sin, of freedom from sin and self. And my life needs to be all about serving the kingdom of God. What or who am I living for? I think it's a valid question. I want to ask for a couple volunteers. How about four? Are you four volunteers? Quickly. Don't be bashful. You're not going to have to come up on stage. So if you would go over there and start on that, and, and Alex, if you would start in the middle here on this side, Maluli, if you would go down the middle, going that side, and Eric, if you would do that side. What are we doing here? Is God finished with us? Are there things that he has for us to do individually and as a body? And what's coming around is something that's really exciting, something that you're going you're gonna to experience over the coming uh, weeks and months of 2020. What's coming around is a list of the investments that we're making as a church family. We came together two, as two stories and two families, one story, and, and we, had, we had two facilities, two properties, and so one was sold, and that money, it sold to a church, and that money was 
was taken and it's being invested. What in the world are we doing here now in the already but not yet? Take a look at that list. You're going you're gonna to meet some of these people in the coming months and some we, we have set up already and others we're working on. This represents where that part of us as a family, what we're doing is we're investing in these ministries. Because this is not about giving up and just circling the wagons and saying, well, we'll just kind of hang on until he comes back. No, what we see in Jesus, we see him living in his world, in his culture, in the power of the Holy Spirit, standing on the truth of God's word, consistently speaking the message of freedom from sin and self. You look at this list. These are ministries that are speaking that ministry that we want to partner with. We are partnering with, and we will be. And we have been called to build his kingdom, not ours. You say, well, what is that? What are are the dollar amounts? I'm not going to tell you the dollar amounts. I mean, you can ask one of the leaders. They can show you on a piece of paper. It's a lot. In my world, it's a lot. What does that say? It says that we believe 100% that we are here to build his kingdom, not ours. Now, come on, I was expecting more amens. We are here as a, as a family of God not to build our kingdom, but to build His. As the worship team comes and, and prepares to lead us in, in responding this morning, if you, if you write notes or, if, again, you make a, a note on your, your electronic device, here's what I want to encourage you to write down. What in the world are we doing? And you've already heard it. It's just these four statements. What are we doing? We're surrendering to the power of the Holy Spirit. We are surrendering our lives to the power of the Holy Spirit. We trust Him to lead us in every moment. We're going to listen to Him and follow Him. Number two, we stand on the truth of God's Word. The final word every time is going to be the Word of God. If you ever hear anything come from this table up here that you can't find in Scripture as the Word of God, then graciously go to me, whoever it is, and say, can you explain to me? I I have a question. Where is this from God's Word? And the speaker up here better be ready to say, great question. Let's look at that. Are you with me? It's It's not about man's opinion. Number three, we speak of freedom from sin and self. What is our message politically? What is our message socially? What is our message morally? What is our message educationally? Freedom from sin and self through Jesus Christ. No, 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 but what about freedom from sin and self is found in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ alone? But, But what do you think? Well, but first we have to Embrace this principle, this truth, that freedom is only found in Jesus Christ. And number four, what are we doing? We're serving the kingdom of God. We're not serving the kingdom of Crossroads Cyprus. You're you're not serving the kingdom of, of me or any of our leaders. You're not serving the kingdom of America or of democracy, or of Western philosophy, or, or capitalism, or whatever, socialism, whatever. We're not serving any other kingdom except the kingdom of God. Who is the king of this kingdom? Who? Say it again. Amen. Amen.